Welcome to Writes for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor, and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Now, let's relax on the convo couch and chat to this week's guest. Welcome to another episode of Rights for Women. This week's guest is someone whose career I have been following for quite some time and who has very recently, and also not so recently, crossed genres. And that author is Jeanette Paul, who also has written quite a few crime novels as Jay Ford. Jeanette is currently writing women's fiction. She's also written rom-com under the name Jeanette Paul. And Jeanette and I had a really interesting conversation this week about her new book, The Summer Place, which is a women's fiction title about three women returning to the summer place of their youth and kind of facing their lost dreams and realigning their lives, I guess. It's a really great page turner and I've really enjoyed reading it. And it was great to talk to Jeanette about that book, but also great to talk to her and her alias, Jay Ford, about crossing genres, creating brands, writing under different pen names, and a whole lot of other writing stuff. So that's coming up for you in the podcast today. Before we get to that, I just wanted to say again, thank you to everybody who sent in questions for last week's Q&A episode. There were quite a few questions, and because I like to give reasonably detailed answers, I didn't get to all of the questions that were sent in but I'm definitely planning a second episode of that. And also thinking that maybe if that's a regular thing where people do send their writing questions in, whether it's anything at all to do with the writing world, the writing life, the writing craft, I'm very happy to make that a regular segment each week on the podcast and have a question at the beginning where that I answer. Or that I also ask other authors that I may be able to get in contact with to answer. So If you do have any questions, please email them to me at w4wpodcast at gmail.com or direct message me on Insta or Facebook. And I'm just keeping a list of those questions and looking at the best way to incorporate those into the podcast. But as I said, I will be doing a full second Q&A follow-up episode in a couple of weeks, answering the rest of the questions that were sent in as a result of last week's call out. So thank you to everybody who's given me feedback on that episode. It was great. This week's writing tip, which I'm doing at the beginning currently of each episode, comes from something that Jeanette and I actually speak about in the episode, and that is using strong verbs. So this is something that I've been doing as I go back and tweak the first half of my current work in progress out of the ashes, which is going to be coming out in January in audio. It's a follow-on book to Blackwater Lake, but it will also be a standalone story. And as I was just going back, just to get my head back into the story, because I have left it for some time and I'm coming back to it, I found myself really tweaking the verbs. And I think the great thing about using strong verbs is that it makes the story really active. It adds to the compelling nature of the writing and it increases the sense of tension too, because If you think about, for instance, somebody crying, they could cry or they could sob, they could wail, they could scream, 
they could wallow. There's a whole lot of different ways someone can do that. And I think getting the right verb and the strongest verb for that particular part of the story and for that particular emotion that you're trying to convey is really important to pulling the reader into the story. Similarly, think about something like walk. There's so many different ways you can walk. You can walk, you can stride, you can march, you can stroll, you can amble. So really thinking about every single verb you use and making sure that it's the right one, the best one for that particular point of the story, and that particularly if it is at a point where the character is experiencing a strong emotion, really think about making those verbs strong, active, compelling, and appropriate. So that's this week's writing tip. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this week's guest. Jeanette Paul is an internationally published author of contemporary women's fiction and romantic comedy and is the alter ego of award-winning suspense author Jay Ford. Her first novel won two Davitt Awards for Australian women crime writers and her books have been translated into nine languages. She's a former news and sports journalist, was the first woman to host a live national sports show on Australian TV and ran her own public relations consultancy before turning to fiction. Jeanette now writes from her home in Newcastle in New South Wales, and this is a really great chat with Jeanette that I think you're really going to enjoy. Jeanette also stayed on and spoke to me for the Patreon supporters and answered the four curly questions. That will be going out very soon, and if you would like to support the podcast on Patreon, you can go to the Rights for Women website, rightsforwomen.com, and find the Patreon page there. You can just go to patreon.com slash rightsforwomen, make sure you've got the letter four in there, and sign up for the Patreon supporters program where you get bonuses each month. So thanks for listening. Grab a cuppa. Hope you enjoy this chat with Jeanette Paul. Jeanette Paul, welcome to Rights for Women. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. I've been following your career across your different genres. I'm really excited to talk to you about that today. But your recent release, which we've just taken a lovely shot of, is The Summer Place with this gorgeous cover. And it's written under the name Jeanette Paul. We're going to get to talking about your aliases in a little while. (laughs) (laughs) You've also under that name published Just Breathe and Amber and Alice. Yeah. So before we get into talking about The Summer Place, can you tell us a little bit about Jeanette, the writer, and the types of books that she writes? Okay, so it's been an evolution for Jeanette. Jeanette was first published after I'd had two crime novels out. And I actually, so roundabout story, I actually started attempting to get published by writing romance, what I thought was straight romance. Didn't get published, couldn't get through any door. All my query letters were totally rejected. And in frustration, I had just been reading lots of crime novels. So I thought, I'm going to have a go at that. I'm going to write the book I want to read see where it ends up. Long story short, I ended up getting published and I had two crime novels out. I was writing my third and my publisher came to me. She knew that I had these other two novels that I'd written and said, was I interested in her reading one of them? They were starting a romance line. So I said to her that it's very different. I felt like I needed to really set that up. It's very different nothing at all like Jay Ford, but here it is. And so I gave her the second one to read, which had done really well in one of the RWA competitions for unpublished authors. And she read it and said, oh, I didn't know you could write comedy. And I'm like, it's comedy. Okay, sure, I can write comedy. And so it was a romantic comedy. 
And so I, that came out as, that was Just Breathe. And then three crime novels later, I was needing a break from the crime and told my publisher, I expected her to say, sure, just come back when you've got another one and we'll take a look at it. And she said, are you interested in writing another Jeanette Paul? And I thought, actually, I'd really like to sit in my office and be light and funny for a while after being dark. And so I went back to my first novel that I wrote that was unpublished. Actually, it was my mum. She said, I've always loved that book. Why don't you give them that? And I looked at it. It was terrible. But I remembered the fun of writing that story. And uh, yeah, I spent a while completely rewriting it. But basically, a lot of the basics of that story are the same. And so then I rewrote that and it became Amber and Alice. And then I started to write another romantic comedy. So that's two romantic comedies. I started to write another one and ran into problems with it. Life was just going a bit berserk and really struggling with it. The story was not going well. And then I got the idea for The Summer Place, and which it's different. Again, it's women's mm. fiction. And it's about three women and the upheaval in their life that occurs in this book. And yeah, I just got this story idea and really wanted to write it. And after probably 12 months of this story in my brain, I canned the other one and wrote it instead. And so this version of Jeanette Paul is writing women's fiction and just loving it. Yeah. It's amazing. So it's actually been really three genres that you've written across rather than just the two. Yeah. Yeah. And so in some ways, The Summer Place is a debut in women's fiction. Yeah. That's great. Do you feel... I've got loads of questions on this whole genre changing stuff or writing across different genres because it's a question that comes up a lot, I think, for us. You know, they've written a few books and then it's they really have the urge to write something different, do they, don't they? So I do want to get onto that a little bit later. But obviously romantic comedy, crime, very different to romantic comedy, and then women's fiction, few maybe similarities with rom-com but different again, as you say. Do you feel that it's been different periods in your life and different circumstances in your life that have given you that impetus to write in those different genres? Yes, definitely. And in some ways steered by that. So certainly the last two, I already had those books written to start with and it was a definite mind shift and a decision. I'm going to try something completely different Mm. when I started writing the crime. And it wasn't such a big swing to go from the two crime novels to writing Just Breathe because the book really needed very little editing. It had already been heavily edited to go into a competition. So that wasn't a major shift, although it was the weirdness of editing that book, writing another crime book at the same time. Now, that was a really weird time, and that's the whole genre-bending thing. And then, yes, definitely again, after my fifth crime novel and needing that break, it was a real shift in I need to be in this other space. And yeah, certainly for The Summer Place, it was a very specific decision that I needed to write something else that was really what was in my heart. And in some ways, that's the beauty of, I feel really lucky that I've had the opportunity to do that because to me, the ideal world is to write a crime novel and then to write something else and not to be only able to write in one genre. Yeah. Now, while we're on this, actually, Jeanette, have you been with the one publisher across those different genres? So I'm with a new publisher for The Summer Place. Okay. But I was with yep. Random House for all of the others. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you went to this new publisher with a background largely, I guess, in writing crime, 
How yeah. was that kind of received by the new publisher? I think it was odd circumstances in that my my original publisher was interested in in the book, but when it was completed, it wasn't what they were really after. And it's an odd book to pitch because it's got a wedding in it, but it's not about the wedding. And so in some ways, as soon as you say wedding anything, it's assumed that it's a wedding book and mm. it's very specifically not a wedding book, although the, all the characters are tied into this wedding that's happening. And so it was quite difficult to pitch in that way. So my new publisher, I'm with Pam McMillan, and my publisher read it before he knew anything else. And he bought it on the strength of the book rather than what else I'd done. And so once he'd read it and loved it and then looked at what else I'd done. And uh, yes, and it is a difficult thing for publishers. That was a comment from others that how do I sell you? Are you Jay Forty? Are you Jeanette Paul? And I was half expecting to be asked to take on a new name. So it would be a third person oh. worrying my husband. <laughs> and I was prepared for it. I was almost deciding to absorb all of my books under the Jade Ford name as well. And it just worked out that they were happy to go as Jeanette Paul and have gone with the basically I'm um, launching myself again, Jeanette Paul in women's fiction. Oh, that's fantastic. That's so great to have the publisher backing you like that and to yes, really be yeah. very supportive of that because it doesn't yeah. always happen that way. So that's fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, I understand it from a publisher's point of yeah, view as well. definitely. They have to sell the book and how do you sell the book if the person keeps changing who they are? <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm going to come back to some of these things a little bit later, if that's okay. But I definitely want to find out more about Summer Place and where the okay. inspiration for that came from. As you mentioned, it's women's fiction and it does tell the story of three women, Erin, Cassie and Jenna, who are all returning to a coastal town where they had spent their summers back in, in the day. And they're all dealing with different life issues and they're all at a crossroads in their lives and they're all brought together again. So can you talk a little bit about, firstly, where the inspiration for the book came from? And then maybe if you could tell us a little bit about each of the women and how those stories intersect in that one yeah. storyline. So there was a very specific moment of inspiration. It wasn't a moment, it was a weekend. So my, my husband and I were invited to a wedding on the beach. So literally on the beach, barefoot guests and bride and groom barefoot on the beach on at Scott's Head, which is on the mid-north coast. and they were friends of my sons who we had become good friends with as well. And the bride was from Argentina and had only been in Australia for a short time. And my husband and I met her on her third day in Australia. So we had a like, like a connection as well. And so they invited us to the wedding on the beach. It was a weekend celebration. People turned up from from Friday and they, there was Friday evening things and the Saturday was the beautiful wedding and then Sunday was breakfast and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there were all these strange stories about the guests going on. My husband and I had never been to Scott's Head and we were blown away by this small beachside holiday town, no high rise, still very that very iconic Australian beachside thing, which was lovely. And all the locals were like, there's a wedding on the beach and that doesn't happen very often. We're all going to pop down and have a look. And the bride's family were not coming to the wedding. She thought maybe her brother would get there, but she really didn't know. And there were people coming from far and wide and the groom. So my, my son is a friend with the groom. He went to uni with him and uh, there were people coming from all over to be at the wedding. And it just had such a nice feel. And the day of the wedding, the, the weather was gorgeous. 
and it was on the beach and halfway through the ceremony, a whole bunch of scuba divers came ashore and they're all in the background. And it was just like really cool and very relaxed and just beautiful and some very heartfelt moments in the service as well. And so we spent the weekend there and our drive home takes about three hours to drive there from where I live in Newcastle. And this whole story just started to play in my mind and really strong character. Oh, I love that. And yeah. it was like, oh, this could happen and that could happen. And uh, yeah, and by the time I got home, it was just like this really strong sense. I'm very good friends with Fiona MacArthur, the author Fiona MacArthur, and I was telling her about it and she's saying, write it down. And that's not something I do very often. She said, just write two paragraphs, two sentences, and then it won't be forgotten, which I did. I did do that. And yeah, it just found a place there. And as I said, I was writing this other story, which was a romantic comedy, and life was like going a bit crazy at the time, aging parents and mm. trying to be funny when I was just really mad about stuff that was going on. Oh, and, uh, and so I struggled a bit longer, and then my husband and I did a beach hike in Tasmania, and it was terrible weather, and we really didn't enjoy it, and the story is there. And on the way back, I'm like, I'm not going back to do anything I don't want to do. I'm just going to go and write that story. And yeah, that was it. It was done. And so there are characters in the book who aren't the people, so they're not the people that were at the wedding, but a lot of it is inspired by some of the lovely things that happened at that wedding. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So, of course, when you've got three characters whose stories you're following, each of them has to have their own, obviously their own storyline, they've got their own voice, their own set of problems and issues that they're dealing with. Yeah. So once you've got that initial idea Jeanette for the story how do you then go about developing your characters do they just come to you and you pop them on the page and see what they do or are you someone that does some planning around the characters and delves into their backstory how does that work for you I would say the majority of that is done in my head I don't write much in the way of notes I just let it stew really I had an idea of what I wanted so I wanted to write someone about my age and Cassie I keep saying that Cassie was my age when I started the book and then I aged and she didn't. So she's still 57. I'm now 60. (laughs) She was my age, had a completely different life to me, but dealing with the same things and things that other older women think about. It's that time of life when do I have time to do these things in my life now? Do, you know, do I write another book or do I start a new career or do I try something new or is it just too late? for me to do that. And she kind of dealing with some of those things. Cassie ran away from home more or less and went overseas to eloped really, but she wanted to be an artist and she never Mm. made that dream happen. She went to art school, but life got in the way. She got married three times and she never managed to make that work. And she's widowed, unexpectedly widowed and very sad circumstances and living in Barcelona and she runs an art gallery. So it feeds into all of her artistic things and she thinks it's just too late and she thinks she's lost her gift and the invitation to go back to Hope Head, which is where the wedding will be, she's the best friend of the groom's mother. So the invitation to go back feels like salt in all of those wounds because mm. Hope Head is the place where she was really inspired to paint and so it means that she really needs to confront all of the reasons why she's lost her gift of painting and, yeah, that that's her challenge. It's such a great setup, and as you say, for a woman at that age, she's done all of those different things, but she's still yeah. got this burning creativity yes. that she's never really yeah. embraced, allowed herself. Yeah, to yeah. And in life, whether you've been married three times or not, you put your desires aside 
to let other parts of life thrive. And there often is in time, especially if you've had kids or you've had a big mm. career or your husband's had a big career, whatever, all of the reasons that we put our own dreams aside. And it takes some courage to actually tell everybody else to bugger off so that you can do your own thing. Yeah, and definitely. I, yeah, and we all know a lot of authors that don't start writing till later. I, I didn't get published until late 40s and I was yeah. 40 when I decided if I'm ever going to do this, I need to Me do it. Me too. Yeah. I started in my early 40s and wasn't published until the year I turned 50. So Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's you are getting older and a lot of people put those dreams aside and it's hard to follow through. So I really wanted to write that. Yeah. And so Cassie was like, she was a complex character and she was probably the most difficult in the book. I wrote three versions of her. Oh, wow. <laughs> she was the kind of the same person, but she did different things and her evolution to where she ends up. She was always going to end up where she ends up, but the evolution of getting there was different each time and had to feel my way and I'm very happy with her now. <laughs> yeah, she's great. I think she's a fantastic yeah. character. They're yeah, all wonderful you. and all different. So what about Erin? Tell us a little about Erin. Erin, to me, I feel like she's a bit of a relic from my crime novel. So she's six months before the story starts. She's been in a near fatal accident. She was a mm. cyclist and hit by a truck and very badly injured, almost didn't survive and has almost lost a leg, very scarred and still learning to walk again. And she's the sister of the groom and she's asked to be the bridesmaid, but she can't, she can't even walk really very well. And she needs to be able to walk barefoot on the sand and, and it represents all of the trauma and grief and the loss of her very active life beforehand. And I feel like she's one of the characters from my crime novels who's been through a really bad time and then needs to go somewhere really nice to actually work out who she's going to be again. And yeah, she has a lot of anger about what's happened to her and about losing the life that she has. You're a super sporty girl and now she can't do anything. And uh, yeah, she has a lot of stuff to work her way through in that beautiful beach and a gorgeous dog she finds and people that she meets there help her come to terms with who she is and it's a long path but she's the toughest of them all but I have to say every time even when I was editing that book especially her climactic part at the end really made me tearful every time so I hope other people find her emotional. And that's so great isn't it as a writer particularly I find once you've been through the revision process and you're going back and you're doing those final re revisions yeah. before publication or something, yeah. I'm always really happy if I'm still crying at that point. Yeah, the... still moved by the story and not going, oh, God, here she goes again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. that's right. And Jenna was inspired by, but I have to say not actually, but inspired by the group of engineering friends. So my son's an engineer and he builds bridges. And so I used him a lot for the research. So she is an engineer and inspired by this bunch of friends. And there's a bunch of friends that turn up for the wedding. And still, so she's really cool, really competent, very smart. She's the only female engineer on a long stretch of highway in the Hunter Valley building bridges and whatnot. And, but she's hopeless with matters of the heart. She's entirely competent in every other way, but she's been in love with the groom for 10 years and nobody knows, or she thinks nobody knows. And, uh, and I like that idea. We can all be really smart, capable, and not be able to work our way through the emotional mess of life sometimes. Mm. She was not how I, when I was thinking about it, and that's the process about, I suppose, not writing notes down. They're all in my head. And then when I start to write them down, they sometimes have a life of their own. And she definitely did. She was lighthearted all the way through, but she had some really nice, messy stuff on the inside. And she was really fun to write. Yeah. yeah. 
And in, in fact, with Jenna, I there are large parts of her story that I didn't really change at all. I wrote her and she more or less wrote herself and yeah, she was a lot of fun and a lot of a lot of depth, which was nice. Yeah. That's when you know you've really got that strong character, isn't it? When yeah. you go back and they come out almost fully formed. Uh, yeah. And it's yeah. surprising sometimes too. There's no what is she gonna do now? It's oh yes, and this happens now. <laughs> yeah. It's a great setup because you've got the wedding. They're all be, all going to be coming to the wedding, so you've got where they're all heading. But, of course, all these different problems and issues that they've got to cope with and deal with along the way and things heat up as the story moves along. So what is your process? Once you had that original idea, okay, I'm, I am going to write about this wedding. I think I'm onto something. You got started to get an idea of the characters. What's your process, Jeanette, from that point to getting, say, to the end of your first draft? Uh, so my process has always been, I write very slowly through the first draft. So the first draft always takes me nine months, probably. And I do it as though I'm telling that story. And if I need to revise, I would go back and redo that. Not in Cassie's case. So I actually wrote all of her several times over, but yeah, I take a long time to work my way through and then go back and do the minor changes. So with these ones, I had a really clear idea right from the start of how I wanted to write it. I think I'd been thinking about writing shorter. All my novels end up being 100,000 words. Right. And I've got lots of friends that write shorter novels. And I'm like, oh, I want to write shorter. It's such a huge undertaking when you go to sit down and start a new novel. And you know it's going to take you 12 months and it's going to be a lot yeah. of work. And I was really interested in how do I do it shorter. And part of that was I was thinking about them as three separate characters, like, vignettes really that they would have three separate stories and then as I started to think further I still was really clear that they needed to be more or less separate stories until the very end and so they do stay quite separate it was challenging to work out how their lives crossed over and then at the end they come together to make the end work because I split the book up into several sections so invitation and all three get their invitation so I would write each section for three characters and then I would write the next section for three characters and then the next section for three characters I needed to figure that out and the time frame so that they were working in within the same time frames because it's three months when they before the wedding that they get the invitation and then they end up there so it was working out the logistics for the timing and all that yeah. yeah, time frames are just one of the banes of my existence, you know, timelines. How do you yeah. work out your timelines? <laughs> no. Are you someone that sets it all up really well at the beginning? or No, I haven't have an idea. So I have to keep saying stupid really not to write notes, but if I start to write notes, I get tangled up in a whole bunch of small details that I really don't need to be tangled up about, and it works better if it's in my head. And so I have an idea of how I want it to work time-wise, and then I work that out and as I write sometimes I'll go oh that's longer than I thought it would be and so then measure it as mm. I'm going this is the first time I've had three characters point of view that are working within the same time frame yeah it was a different process working out how all those were going to slot in together and Jenna actually has less in some places than the other two and then more at towards the end than the other two so trying to work out how to slot her in without forgetting her completely. Yeah, yeah. And I think different also in other books because the other stories are told with the timeline running together, but they were quite separate. So sometimes one character had more to do or more to say for quite a while. And it was a balance of trying to work out how much 
page time to give to one character before I need to split it up into others. And I guess in the writing and it was a new genre, it was, I thought that was the place that it would fall down with the publisher. All characters were quite separate and they weren't interlocking. That might be a problem. And in the end, my publisher loved that. So I guess you've got right from the beginning that, as you say, you set it up with the invitation and all that, you have got that thread, common thread through them, even though they're not physically in the same place. There's that anticipation that they are going to be. Yes, and you can see that they're linked. And I tried to give them links all to the same people because they were all coming to the wedding. There was connections with all of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a web, isn't it? Like a character web almost. So you've got the three characters and then as you're writing them, did you at any point consider one of them more major in terms of the lead role or the protagonist of the story than the other? Not really. To me, they were all the three main characters. And I guess by two-thirds of the way through, there's a lot less of Jenna at that point, but I knew that there was more to come. I don't know. It was just always really clear in my mind that I wanted them to be three characters. And I know at various stages of editing and the back and forth with my agent about it, there was some discussion. And I think one publisher had said there needs to be a main character, but I was really adamant that there wasn't a main character. There can't yeah. be one, one whose story dominates. I, I don't know, maybe if you read the story, you might feel that one does. I didn't because, as you say, at some points in the story, one or two of them might have more, like yeah. we're getting more of them, but then that balances out balances in other places. So, um, and so I guess in the long run, it was really just about how to tell the story. Yeah. And I think when you write, you agonize over have I gone too long is this too long is this bit too short but in the end it's just how to tell the story and it still ended up being about a hundred thousand words yeah <laughs> it's actually been like since 94 or something but still <laughs> nice and chunky yeah that's, yeah. Right. that's a very common size yeah. for books at the moment so yeah. I think everybody's always fine with that yeah and wouldn't it be terrible if you had to write a book beat to a certain number of pages like I've never been asked to write a certain number of pages because that yeah. would just Yeah. And I don't know about you. Some people write over and cut back a lot. I tend to write under and probably add to get to my final word count. But it sounds because you're revising as you go, that's all kind of evening out in that whole process. Kind of. I've never written under. And probably Mm. if I wrote under, it would still be okay because it would still be between 80 and 100. The least I've written is 92. And then, and hilariously enough, that was the book that I really overwrote and ended up handing into my publisher at 140 and I'm like, I know this is way too many words and I have no idea what to do and we managed to get it back to 92 and I'm like, there you go. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's quite a cut, isn't it? Yeah, That was a huge cut, but it's published at about what I handed over. That was my problem child book, but yeah. Yeah, Yeah. we all have them. (laughs) We all do. We all have them. So you are taking your time with that drafting process and revising and things as you go. So when you get to the end, say of the nine months or whatever it takes you to get to the end, is that would be a fairly clean manuscript then I'm imagining. What sort of revision yeah. process do you then have to go through? So the writing's pretty clean. I would probably do another sweep through and just tidy up the writing, which is also giving me an opportunity to read back as a whole because you get to the end and it can be a long time since I've read Chapter 4. Oh, and I can't remember what happened there and there. So I do that cleaning it up and... So a former journalist, so the cleaning up of the writing is a kind of a constant process, and but certainly there's that clean through with the when I've finished the first draft. And then it's about 
structural character stuff. This work probably, I need to restructure this scene here, but pretty much you would read it as a book then and it would either be too much or some scenes are just not right. And there are times when I might make notes to myself and this needs to be tidied up, but I hate leaving those. I tend to go back to them soon-ish rather than leaving them all to the end. And I actually really like that editing process after nine months of thinking, is this going to work? Is this going to work? And where is the ending? And how is that going to play? Finally, and who and what? And do the themes all come together? And then finally get to the end and they do all come together. And so then almost together, when I get to the end, I feel, ah, they're completed characters. A story arc has come to its conclusion. Now I can go up and fix all the bits to make sure it works properly. And I actually really like that because I know who everybody is. I know the setting properly. But when it comes to crime, completely aware then of the environment that it happens, setting that it happens in, so I can clean up everything so it all works. I like that bit. It's satisfying, isn't it? You're really getting it to where you want it to be. I guess it's decision-making, but all that unknown is gone. Mm. Yeah, yeah, true. So for this book, The Summer Place, obviously, even from the title, the setting is very important. As you say, it was inspired by that beautiful wedding at Scott's Head, and you've created this beautiful coastal town that they all come to for the wedding. And I really could relate to that because I think a lot of us have those places from our childhood or our youth that we have those such strong memories of and can actually be really formative in our lives. I had for 20 years or something, my f- family, as I was growing up, we went to Boreal Lake on the South Coast every year. Okay. And yeah. we've now got a holiday house down there, my husband oh, and lovely. myself and my family, because it was just such a important part of my life. And the setting in this book is lovely and it's, it's so integral to the story. So can you talk a little bit about the setting and maybe is there a place for you that is in that same league of those formative years and your memories? Yeah, I guess to some degree... I hadn't been to Scott's Head. We spent a lot of our childhood, my childhood, caravanning Mm -hmm. on the Central Coast. And many Christmases, we had the six weeks in our caravan, in a caravan park on the beach. And it's probably not as many Christmases as I think. My mom says, it wasn't that many, but it feels, and as you say, very formative. There are very huge memories of being at the beach and being in the caravan and it being really hot and going to the beach at night and all times of the day mm. and that whole caravan park kind of life is a totally different thing. And to some degree, I guess the sense of that and to go back to places that are similar as an adult has fed into that story as well, that sense of being on the beach and the memories of being on the beach. A few years ago, the year before COVID, my husband and I went to Manly for a break. And so I grew up on the northern beaches and hadn't been back to that beach there for ages, but that was my home beach, all that stretch of Manly through to Queenscliff. I spent a lot of time there as a kid and hadn't been back for years. And we sat up in a bar over the beach. The bar wasn't there when I used to go. (laughs) And yeah, there was something hugely soulful about being back there. This was the place that I spent so much of my time and it was quite soulful, like that heartfelt feeling, fondness of this place and just conjured up all these memories that were just flying at me. And yeah, that was really lovely and wanted that for the summer place. And all of them have spent time there. And especially for Erin and Cassie, who had such, as you say, formative, is such a great word for that, formed the basis of a large portion of their lives being there, Erin with the surfing and Mm. Cassie with the painting. And 
I wanted the whole atmosphere of that to really spread through the book. And so that sense of, I, I think sometimes even when you go on a holiday and you're completely removed from your normal life and you go to some beautiful spot, it can really touch you as well. And it makes you yeah. step away from all of that you have and rethink everything with kind of fresh, clean eyes. And I wanted that to be part of it. And the beach is obviously a great spot for that. Oh, Sun- yeah. Sunrises and sand between the toes and the water and yeah, it's cleansing. Yeah. Oh, you've yeah. captured that vibe beautifully. Thank you. Lovely. So we're in the women's fiction genre with the summer place. Who would be the women's fiction authors that you most read and admire? Oh, look, that's a hard one for me. I read all over the place, but I think the biggest influence in women's fiction has probably been older authors, Maeve Binchy and Rosamund Pilcher. I just mm. really remember reading them as a young adult and just being really touched by the the characters that all interlocked and one character would then view another character and you'd see that character in a completely different light and there would be multiple storylines all running into the same thing. And I know years ago I read September by Rosamund Pilcher and all of these far-flung family members come to a place in September and yeah. I really had that in my mind when I first started to write The Summer Place and yet those kinds of stories play in my mind about how it should go yeah yeah it's great to have those kind of models isn't it for your writing and it's not that you're mimicking them or anything but it's just an inspiration yeah and I think some of those ideas are a little bit dated now the a women's fiction are dealing with different issues mm. and different lifestyle things but it's still that sense of community I guess that's really appealing yeah yeah so how different is it for you Jeanette writing like a novel like The Summer Place, to writing your crime fiction. It's obviously going to be similar in terms of your process, I'm imagining, in the way that you write the book, but it just seems like they're just so chalk and cheese. They are. They are chalk and cheese, and I guess that's one of the appeals as well. Yeah. I have to say, you said earlier that there's connections between women's fiction and romantic comedy, but I actually say there's more connections between romantic comedy and crime. A lot of it, there's a lot of similarities in the crime novel, the suspense of the drama and the the scary bit, you're suspending that in the same way that you suspend the joke at the end of a section in the comedy and the level of pushing that suspense and keeping those dramatic things dangling all the time is quite similar. And whereas women's fiction is a much more slower paced and subtle in the way that story is told. And that probably was the biggest difference for me as a writer. I could feel that the slowing down of it, and that used to panic me a bit. <laughs> and I, nothing's happening. <laughs> and I can remember speaking to a friend, the fabulous Michelle Douglas, and saying, I feel nothing's happening, and do I need to put more drama in? And she said to me, you just have to remember that it's women's fiction, and sometimes dialogue is the thing. That's just it. That's what the scene is. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it doesn't need to be a knife or a, like somebody falling down and making a pool of them. It doesn't have to be that level of drama. And so that to me was quite a difference, that the story is told in a more soulful way instead of like in your face. Yeah. And you're focusing a little bit more on the emotion of the character than you are probably yeah. on the, those, as you mentioned, those different yeah. plot points and the action. 
And of course, the plot develops from that. The depth of the emotion I, is probably I more. I think in romantic comedy and crime, there's a lot of external influences and conflicts that drive the story forward. The scary thing or the funny thing or the group of people that you're with and those things drive the characters forward. Whereas in the summer place, there's lots of lovely things happening except for what's inside them and they need to be dealing with that. And so they're moving themselves into other situations to develop that internal conflict or to work through it and they're gentler things it's not so dramatic although it's dramatic to them they're told in a gentler way yeah i think that's a good kind of analysis so what do you think have been the challenges for you in writing across different genres um it's just that that we've been talking about between the two and reminding myself that i'm writing this and not that The main difference between, especially the crime and anything else, is the darkness of it. And so you stay in that darkness. And for me, because I write thrillers, it was all about maintaining that sense of drama, doom, fear. Mm. And so you can't staying in that and feeling that as you go. And so with that, there's like a whole different vocabulary, a whole different collection of words that you would use to produce that sense of or the suspense, or the premonition that something big is going to happen. There's a whole sense of dark words, really strong-sounding words. They're quite different to when you, especially when you go to comedy. And when I was writing the two and balancing the two, it was like, to remind myself, the whole different collection of words, I'm not using like blood and death and stuff, I'm using daft and ridiculous, things that would never even pull out of the dictionary and put on that page. And it's fun that it's the balance. But I do remember when I was balancing the two, I would get halfway through a scene and then go, oh, oh no, hang on a minute. Something bad isn't going to happen. Something funny is going to happen. So I had to change up the focus or the choice of words there. So it was light and dark of that. My husband used to come home at night. So when I was editing just breathe the first romantic comedy and writing blunt secret so as day on and off kind of thing and he would come home from work and he'd say do i kiss you or get you a glass of wine (laughs) so yeah obviously there's mood thing that goes with it and then writing the summer place it's different again you're different set of vocabulary different set of words to choose from and i'm describing the setting in a beautiful way and trying to evoke like strong feelings but different kinds of feelings yeah it's it i guess it's how you put it all together the and it's more the detail the specifics of how you structure your sentences for that and the words that you choose to do that and it becomes a very conscious thing that you're doing and i have to remember that it's going this way and not that way yeah do you find you do write under the two names so jeanette paul for your women's fiction and rom-com and then jay ford for your crime and not so long ago, Cassie Hamer actually interviewed Minnie Dark on the podcast. And yeah. it's gone out of my head now what Minnie's actual name is, her real name. But she was <laughs> talking about this idea, which I really quite liked. And I just write under my actual name. So I've never really had this experience. But she was talking about when she sits down to write, it's like she's taking on a new persona. She's Minnie. She's the author and she's the storyteller and it's quite a deliberate thing that she does in taking on that persona and sitting down to actually write. So do you feel that having those two kind of identities, do you feel like you are in two different personas? Yes, but probably not in those circumstances. It's more about the story for me, but definitely if I'm doing an author event, I am either Jay or I'm Jeanette 
and creating websites and social media, there's definitely a Jay and a Jeanette and they feel quite different. And yeah, and going to an author event, I feel myself automatically choosing different clothes to wear. I was going to say, do you dress differently? I would wear different clothes than if I was Jeanette because Jeanette's light and funnier and warmer and Jay's kind of a bit edgy. Yeah. (laughs) And she just great though. I love that you're able to do that because you're obviously, that's you're using different aspects of your own personality in that way. Yeah. And I've always said that as well. I think we're all more than one person. We all Mm. have lots of elements to our personality and that can be pretty dark and serious and and then I can also be pretty stupid as well and fun and daft. Yeah. And so why not write that as well? Yeah, definitely. Is it a challenge for you maintaining the two different kind of personas on social media? And you do have two completely different websites as well. How do you juggle that? That's probably the downside. Trying to be a few different people on social media is more work than it needs to be. And yeah, trying to be both people and keep both of those personalities alive is probably beyond me. So I've pared it down. So I was Jay Ford for quite a while through COVID because I was indie publishing my backlist and publishing them overseas. And so I was pretty much Jay Ford for two years and Jeanette pulls back. <laughs> so I'm heading more down that road and taking advice on how best to manage that. So I occasionally post to Jay Ford, but most of it's happening through Jeanette Paul at the moment. Yeah, so it is complicated, more complicated than it needs to be probably. But yeah, and trying to explain when people are having an event and explaining that, yeah, call me whatever, I'm Jay and Jeanette. I will come as Jeanette and talk about Jay or I'll come as Jay and talk about Jeanette. You know, it's very odd. No, I love it. So where are you at with your crime writing? Is that kind of on the back burner for now or are you dabbling in that as well? Or? Not at the moment. So I was signed to write two books for Pam McMillan, which is very exciting. Great. And so I am writing another Jeanette Paul women's fiction, which I'm really enjoying. And Jay Ford's, yeah, she's on the back burner. There's still things that I would like to tackle. I feel that she might go a different way like Jeanette Paul did, like still write something, but something slightly left or right where she was. I'm not exactly sure what yet. I did pursue the I'm going to write, try and write shorter and I wrote a novella which was a prequel to one of my crime novels. Really loved writing a prequel. The idea of writing shorter is interesting as well. I'm getting older and my husband's retired and the idea of not spending a year at my desk is appealing. So working out ways that I might do that, shorter things might do that. I don't know, but I don't feel like Jay Ford's packed up and gone home yet. Yeah, yeah. But She's still There are lurking. still things there, but yeah, probably different to the thrillers that I've written, but with some kind of some darkness in there, but maybe not mm. quite as dark. And in an ideal world, and I don't know, maybe it would ruin it for both, but I, the idea of a crime with comedy always sounds great. I can't do it. It just doesn't work in my brain. I seem to be that person or that person, so right. it won't be but it'd be nice to do a little mashup, but I don't think that will work. But yeah, yeah she's not Denbury. <laughs> but she's happy for Jeanette to have seven stage for a while. Yeah, she's just having a break. You said you indie published your backlist. How did you find that process? Oh, a brain explosion, really. It's not really my thing. It was a stressful time anyway because of COVID, we're all in lockdown. So it was probably the worst time for me to be trying to learn a brand new thing. Now that I've done a few, it's easier to jump in and do the next ones. But the learning process was huge. And then Mm. 
I guess I'm not decisive enough about marketing this way and promoting this way and covers and all of that kind of stuff. In the long run, I think I'm a better writer than I am a publisher. Yeah, I know, I can so relate because, you know, I've gone down that path too. I've indie published. Well, one was just a fresh new book company in 2019 that I indie published and then I got rights back for one book and republished that under a different title and cover. I can see the advantages of it and having the control and being able to, you know, do book bub advertising or whatever whenever you want and things like that and being able to choose your cover and your form of advertising. But as you say, it's just so much work and it's so yeah. much learning and I find yeah. things changing. Like I've been, I haven't really done any active advertising for either of those books in the last probably couple of years now and I'm considering the idea of doing some indie stuff again and it's just already making my head hurt just thinking about it. I think it's great once you learn the technical side of it but that indie industry is changing all of the time. It is. Seriously take my hat off to anybody that is doing that or writing hybrid because so the other thing for me was I can't do both at the same time. So I can't just go off and do a bit of indie marketing stuff and then go and write the book again. It's either all or nothing. And so once my brain is in that thing, it's something to do with you doing with the indie stuff, are you doing stuff fast, fast? And then we come to skimming across lots of things to get them done. And then when I come to write, it needs to be slower and more in depth because you've got to get yourself right inside that story and I've I found that swapping between the two really difficult and if the writing went well I didn't want to stop and attend to that other thing or if the other indie stuff was going well I didn't want to stop to attend to the writing and so one or the other was always getting sidelined and yeah just and maybe it's my age as well I don't consider my old myself old in any way but my career in writing as a journalist as well was always about having editors around and right. fitting with boundaries of some sort and loosely collaborative and the aloneness of doing that indie publishing, mm. uh, of, of being the final say on everything, that was not my bag. So not to say that I wouldn't because I'm about to republish Just Breathe, Okay. But it's already been published and it's different kinds of decision making, but to start from yeah. scratch and go all the way through, yeah, it's, I have other skills. And you're republishing Just Breathe yourself? Yes. Yeah. Oh, like you, I'm in awe of the people that are doing it so brilliantly yeah. and yes, so absolutely. consistently. It is, as you say, it's an absolute skill set. Yeah. And part of the skill set is a lot of pressure to do everything fast and like, I'm slow. It takes me a long time to write a novel, nine months to write a first draft. And the indie stuff gets written so fast. And when you're in the indie world and there's a lot of blogs out there saying you need to be writing two books a year at least. And if you're not writing two books a year, I'm like, I can't do that. There's life as well. So you have written across different genres. Do you think that is easier to do as an indie author than as a traditionally published author? from what you've seen? It's hard to say, but there are a lot of indie, and I guess that's the bonus of being an indie author, that you can write what you want. It, like There's still the pressure to have a, a place in the market that's yours that you want to claim space on. There's a lot of indie authors that out the, you go onto the website and they're saying other books buy the author, and they write all over the place, or perhaps they've started somewhere and moved on. My experience with traditional publishing is that I've been given the space to be able to do that. So I still consider myself lucky to have done that. There doesn't seem to be lots of us 
But I guess the freedom of the indie publishing means if you want to, you can write what you like. Yeah, yeah. I did a kind of solo Q&A episode where people just sent in questions and I gave my two cents worth on this. And this came up a couple of times, actually, this issue of I've written a few novels, I've got a particular brand, I've got this burning desire to write, you know, this other kind of story, what's your advice type thing. And that's so hard to advise on because part of me always wants to say what's in your heart and just write that story if it's burning but also knowing the realities of the industry and particularly if you are seeking traditional publication that publishers do like have you in a box or at least for a while. What are your thoughts on that, Jeanette, in general? What advice would you give on that? Understand from publishers that they want to publish a brand mm. and there is benefit to publishing, continuing to write in that brand. And if you're earning a mozza to do it, it's probably worth your while to not swap in the mid-contract or at the end of a contract and give away a good contract if you can do more. But if you're not New York Times bestseller and you haven't just sold 100 million books around the world and you want to have a go at writing something else, it depends on why you're writing. When I first swapped from romantic comedy to crime, I wasn't even published and I really didn't think that I'd even be published in crime. And part of the reason, part of my reasoning at that point was, I could write for the rest of my life and never get published, so I may as well write what I want to read. And although that sounds stupid, I still think that book that you want to read is the one that you want to write. And Mm. I have written books where I haven't been in love with the story or the story's gone in a direction that I'm not in love with and they're so hard to write. Like, why spend a year writing something that you're not going to love? It's a long time to be stuck in a book that you're not having fun in. And it's different if you sign to a really big contract or any contract, but if you're not happy writing in that genre and you really want to write something else, why are you writing? Yeah. If you're writing to support a family, the decisions are different. If you're That's writing right. because you love to write and you're earning some money and you could earn more money, you know, the decisions are based on different things. But yeah. if you're writing because you love to write, you can afford not to be published for a little while. Or you can write two and one's going to get published and maybe the other one will and maybe it won't. Write what you love. Yeah. And all of them, every book that I've written, you, you got to, the ones that have turned for me are the ones that I've loved. Yeah. And Summer Place too, it was stuck in my heart. I couldn't get rid of it and I enjoyed writing it for that reason. I think that's true. It's all really great advice. Yeah. What's your current favourite genre to read or are you reading across a whole lot as well? What am I reading at the moment? <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, weird stuff. I Last year, I went through a whole phase of just reading cozy mysteries, like crazy cozy mysteries. And uh, yeah, it was interesting thinking about writing cozy mysteries, but I was just completely sucked into these historical cozy mysteries. And of course, it's something I wouldn't write, but the characters were really intriguing. And t- some part of me was just reading and some part of me was like, how are they doing this? How am I still interested four books in? What is doing that for me? So that that was interesting. And I've been reading a bit of gothic stuff because Catherine Hine lives in Newcastle as well and she keeps posting books that I've read this month. So I'm like, oh, well, that looks interesting. And yeah, she puts up some gothic ones. I've never read gothic books before. And yeah, I'm having some with that as well. Kind of mystery attached to them with dark yeah. things happening. And I wouldn't write that, but I've really enjoyed reading them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's loads yeah. of great Australian crime writing at the moment, isn't there? So many great crime books out. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's always a lot of good crime, Australian crime. Write different kinds of stuff. There's the American style and the UK style, but yeah, Australia seems to have its own 
gritty, crimey kind of stuff, which is cool. Yeah. What's next in the women's fiction? You are writing your second book following on from The Summer Place. Is it a completely separate story? Can you tell us anything about it? Oh, not much at the moment, but it's also three women. And at the moment, it's three women are tasked with visiting three different patients at a rehab hospital. And it's something that none of them are keen on, but they don't realize it's their own lives that need rehabilitating. So I really like to write about women and that internal challenge. And I think that across all of the books, they all have that story of an ordinary woman being challenged by something, confronted by something, and they can either just flop or they can really reach inside and work out what it is that's driving them and make them a stronger, happier, more satisfied person. And it's that as well. It's the women's fiction summer place is the same. They're female characters and they all need to be challenged and they need to reach for a different part of life and themselves. And that mm-hmm. takes courage sometimes. Yeah, just it's just, for me, it's about finding different stories that illustrate those challenges that women have. You've just answered my last question beautifully, Jeanette, because it was regardless of what genre you're writing in, what would you say is at the heart of your writing? <laughs> yeah, and we all go through tough times and it's everybody that goes through a tough time is also, oh, I don't think I can get through this. I don't know how I'm going to get mm. through that. But if you've gotten to the other side, you have found a way to reach deep and be strong or resilient or brace yourself until it's done. And there are always lessons to learn and you get to the other side of that and maybe hopefully we can all sit back and go, I found that thing and I'm stronger for it. Mm. I didn't enjoy it, but I'm proud of myself and I there's something of myself that I didn't know that I had, which might stand me in really good stead for the next thing. and Or there might not be another thing. But I think that we all need to be able to reach for that thing and acknowledge that we felt bad, but we found a way through and that they're stronger for it. We're all stronger for it. Because yeah. we need to champion our lives. Life can be tough sometimes. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It can be really great, yeah. but it's also really great to know that you can get through it. And I guess that's what resilience is about. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love writing about that as well and reading yeah. it. So you've done it beautifully in the summer place. Thank you. We are going to go on to do four curly questions for the Patreon supporters. There was one question I did want to ask. In addition to doing your writing, your various books and genres, you also facilitate at writers' festivals and conferences, and you also do some workshops. So has that been a really important part of your whole kind of writing life? And part of that is also doing kind of a sideline job I've had for a while has been author interviews. So at libraries for author events, usually author events. And uh, it's been a really enjoyable part of my career. So it's an extension of me being a journalist Mm. in that it's quite natural for me to be interviewing people, but really enjoyable. I have to say it's one of the things I really love to do, the opportunity to speak to other authors Some have been super famous and some are like beginning and it's really great to speak to authors across the board about their different process and the way they come at stories and what's inspired those stories. I have to say they're things that I've really loved to do, yeah. Me too. (laughs) That's why I do the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Jeanette, about The Summer Place and your writing life. It's been a great chat and if anybody would like to find out more about Jeanette, we are going to be doing the four curly questions for Patreon listeners. 
So you can pop on to, I think it's patreon.com slash rights for women with the number four, and you can sign up there and get some great monthly bonuses. So thank you. And we very much look forward to your next book coming out. When will that be, by the way? Uh, it will be 2025. And where can people find you, Jeanette, on social media? Oh, so I'm I'm Jeanette Paul 50 and I'm Jford 50 on Instagram and uh, Jeanette Paul author and Jay Ford author on Facebook. Brilliant. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website so much great writing advice in the library there and you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too you can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through patreon and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode and you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com on instagram and twitter at w4w podcast the facebook page rights for women or find me and my writing at pamela cook Thanks for listening. Have a great week. And remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end. <laughs>